It's amazing how my lack of appearance at the table quiz matters so little now. It's probably not even going to come up in the podcast. Episode 23 of Craggy Island Rugby is up and running. I'm Rob Murphy, your host, and uh, on the show this week are our usual trio of experts. Uh, experts in more ways than one after their table quiz victory. Start with Dave Finn, who probably did most of the hard work in that particular table quiz. That's incredibly unfair to my two colleagues, and that's typical of, uh, typical of what we expect from somebody who decides that rather than help his team support, he'd drive early in a basically a stolen car. From Mayo to Wexford, from Wexford to Cardiff, from Cardiff back to Wexford, and then somehow finds himself driving through Carlow. Despite it's a shortcut. The fr- it keeps you awake instead of going on motorways. It keeps you awake in the sense that you're, you're driving for longer. Well, you can pull over easily. I'm a responsible that's driver. Ca- no, that's called driving into a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Finn's on the podcast. Welcome on, Dave. Uh, William Davis. Good evening. Event for the weekend? Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wonder what we'll talk about this weekend. Alan Deegan's on the podcast. Hi, Rob. I think we'll all agree that we shouldn't do another thing until we uh, play these four minutes of audio. And if you haven't heard this and you're a Connacht Rugby fan, well, seriously, where have you been, honestly? Right, Uh, Pat, obviously devastating defeat. Maybe take me through the last couple of minutes. I know you have a laptop there that's kind of showing some of the incidents that cost Connacht dearly in those closing stages. Yeah, you know, extremely gutted and disappointed. You know, there's there's a change room there that deserved more. You know, they put their bodies on the line and, yeah, we know we should have been more points ahead and so forth. But, um, you know, that last play of the game and, you know, I spoke to the referee straight after the game because I'm extremely disappointed. You know, you look at this play here at 80-48 and, you know, the Johns comes straight through the through the gate there. The, the ball's out. He's allowed to pick that ball up. Should be game over. All right. But probably the worst one is that the boys then defend for another three minutes and then... The biggest call, which I'm absolutely, uh, we're all absolutely gutted by, is the fact here that uh, if you have a look, and this ball comes back, you see here at 83.27, Cardiff clearly knocked the ball on there. They knock it on. There's no ruck. Our hooker picks the ball up. Um, Tom, it's cleared. Referee's just about to blow full time. Game over at, at 83.34. And then Leighton Hodges, the touch judge, says hands in the ruck. A, clearly no ruck. B, he knocked the ball on. Uh, he's 30 metres away. The ref's one metre away to call that. And uh, that is a massive call. That game should be over and finished. And probably the disappointing thing I have, and um, I, you know, I go through the process, and all I want to talk about is the facts, not opinion. Um, you know, that's pretty clear. I've had texts straight away from quite influential people saying it's wrong. Um, and then probably the biggest thing with Leighton Hodges, I had to talk to him afterwards because when we had the Edinburgh game, um, I went through the process there that he made a comment before the game that um, uh, he was late and uh, our stewards uh, told him where he had to park and uh, he made a comment that that's going to cost your team uh, seven points at least. Uh, he made that to our stewards who came and complained. I complained to uh, Ed Morrison about that because it's out of order. It's, it's equivalent to calling bomb in an airport, even if it's in jest. They agreed that it wasn't on. Um, and, um, and so, that, that's, again, that's factual. And, um, you know, and then we, this is the next game we've now got Leighton. And as you can see, based on facts, it's an extremely wrong call. Cost the game. And where we are in context of the season, and uh, it's extremely disappointing. Again, I'll go through the process, and I just want to reiterate, it is not opinion. The, what he said was factual. What you're seeing here is factual. And um, I'm extremely gutted for Connick Rugby, for the players, and, um, you know, to lose a game like that. 
Pat, they're going to say mistakes happen from officials, you know, they're human, and it's also going to be said that these kind of incidents might even themselves out over the course of a season. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, but bottom line is that is a massive call to make in a game. There's two big calls. There's actually a couple more, but as you can all see, you know, uh, to make a call like that, which is completely wrong in the context of the game, is... Uh, is, uh, is is disappointing, and again, I believe we have to be accountable. You know, uh, everyone, the players have to be accountable. Coaches, we're talking livelihoods here. You know, the difference, uh, you know, on, on success. But to make it, and so officials need to be accountable too. And I'll, again, I'll go. Th- I know they are. I'm, I'm, I'm full faith that Ed Morrison will follow this up. Uh, the process, we will go through that. But um, you know, uh, it's it's again, it's disappointing when you have um, you know again with, with Leighton. All I all I can say was uh, the comments he made, which puts that under uh, under review. And you're going to be asking for him not to be refereeing that Munster match. Yeah, well, that's the disappointing thing is that now he's got the game against Munster, mm. and in context of what I what he said in that game in the Edinburgh game, the performance which was um, you know again when the. Uh, the performance he gave in the Edinburgh game on the back of that comment he made before the game, which went to our uh, officials, then to have a, a, a call like that, which is clearly wrong and ch- and, and cost us the game, um, because the game is over. Referee's about to call it. Um, again, you just weigh all of those things up to have him up against the Munster game. Um, again, I'll put that over to the officials, but I certainly, and Connick Rugby will certainly be looking for um, you know some answers and um, we, we have some serious question marks on the integrity of um, the calls that have been made and the statement that was made. The voice of Pat Lamb. I posted that at 10am uh, on Saturday morning, thinking, thinking, geez, this could kick off and we might be looking at a... Uh, you know, a couple of thousand hits maybe over the course of the next week. Well, 12,000 views later and counting... Uh, a lot of people uh, definitely were interested in what Pat Lamb had said. I've never heard of a press conference like it. And today, before I bring anyone in, this uh, press release, as of Monday evening as I read this, uh, Pat Lamb, the head coach of Connacht Rugby, has been formally charged with misconduct by the disciplinary officer of the Pro 12 Rugby following comments he made to the media after the Guinness Pro 12 match against Cardiff. Pat Lamb will be required to attend a disciplinary hearing before independent Pro 12 Rugby Disciplinary Committee at a date yet to be confirmed. Pat Lamb's in a bit of bother. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no surprises there. Um, I'm going to say very similar. I'd be very surprised if the phrase "independent committee" is exactly what it says. Because the Pro 12s are the prosecutors, and they're picking the committee that presents it. And this is the issue that's arisen in soccer again and again and again: is that the governing body picks the people who, who cause the discipline. That is not an independent body. They're judge, jury, and executioner. And I have a horrible suspicion in this case, improv. And it's never seemed to come up before. But if the Pro 12 is picking the people on the committee, it's not independent. So that needs to be nipped in the bud right now. Does he have a case to answer for? Yes, yes, he does. Is is there an issue regarding refereeing in this competition? Yes, yes, there is. But they're three separate things. Right now, that audio proves is that at the heat of the moment, Pat, something stuck with Pat, immediately after the press conference, he brought it up. The thing is, is I don't think if we had if we were, we'd left it and we're speaking to Pat today, that he would have been that adamant about making such a big thing about it. And I do think a lot has to be said about immediately after the match, whether this is a good idea. But it's the first time I've ever heard anything like this in rugby. Yeah, in any, in any rugby, never mind Connacht rugby, but it was 30 minutes at least after the game. He had done a couple of other interviews, he brought the pre- laptop into the press conference, and I'm kind of going to disagree with you a little bit, Dave. I think just 
listening back to it when I listened back on Saturday morning before I released it. I purposely waited overnight, Alan, as well, just to kind of have a listen to it and see, well, what was in this? And was this a completely, as someone said, you know, losing his mind? No, I don't think it was. I think he would have done the same thing two days later. He certainly seemed to give that impression. It certainly, he, seemed, he seemed to be quite calm. You were looking at him, you saw him. We, you know, well, we he was wound him. up beforehand, uh, coming in. He was really wound up. There's no question about that outside the press room, like any coach would be. And a lot of the management were, and the players were as well. But once he got into that press conference, yeah, he, I mean, he, he was very much focused on what he wanted to say, and he was careful about, well, pretty careful about what he said, I think, overall. I think he was, but he, <laughs> still talking about something that was said to people oh, on, yeah. the, on the sideline is, is not something I don't think you can corroborate unless someone recorded it. You know, and which makes it kind of difficult for to, to back him up on that front. I think he was, you know, looking back at the last four minutes of the game, I can see why he got it. He was bang on with, I thought, with his, his decisions, uh, even though Welsh TV weren't quite sure about John Muldoon's. When you <laughs> say he was bang on, he was bang on with his descriptions of why the two penalties were wrong. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you've got a situation where you know John comes through the ruck, looks as though he's picked the ball up after cleaning people out. Looked very valid to me as uh, Welsh TV reckoned there was still a foot there, the ball was in the ruck. So you could sort of say, okay, that's a 50 50 one, maybe, depending on which side you're looking at. But the second one, where um, the ball was put on the ground, knocked on, knocked on from the supporting player, which means the player on the ground then became offside. So it should have been not only a scrum to us, a penalty to us before, if there was any chance of being, you know, someone coming in from the wrong side. And we weren't. Like, like McCartney was well within his rights to go and pick a loose ball up. Um, and turn it over. So you know. we, we'll, we'll pause that for a sec because we, we'll, we'll talk about the decisions maybe when we're chatting about Leighton Hodges and uh, Lloyd Linton in a second. But we'll talk about that in a sec, but I want to stick with the, the comments. So yeah, I was saying that he sounded like I don't, he, he spoke everything he wanted to say. I'm not saying necessarily he, it was, in my opinion, that it was the best to bring up the second part. The first part of the press conference, well, I really loved it. I loved the idea of bringing the laptop in when you were when you were clearly wronged on, on a decision and to spell it out that clearly, you can't debate with it. So I really did like that. But the second part of the press conference, I just, I struggle to fathom what Connacht can gain from bringing that up. Well, they've already brought it up to the referee commissioner, mm. Ed Morrison. Which I think was a good decision. Yeah. yeah, but I assume it's been dealt with. Yeah. And whether it's been dealt with to our satisfaction or not, that, that issue's gone, even if it, we don't know what happened. There's really three issues in this. There's Friday night, there's last January, and there's also something that Pat Lamb brings up from time to time. He talks about going through the processes, and he seems to have discussed this previously about referees. So it needs to be made clear what this process is. For dealing with referees after games and yeah. asking questions. Do you do a report after every game? Do you only do a report when something that you didn't agree with happens? How is that handled? Do you send a form? Do you send a DVD? Do you just ring up Ed Morrison and say, listen, will you have a look at this? It's all very itsy-bitsy. And it goes back to the fact that in rugby, the referee is kind of an untouchable. You're not really allowed to criticise him. You can shout and roar at him a bit if you're a fan. But generally, once the game's over, the referee doesn't have to explain his actions. I assume they do to somebody like Ed Morrison, who was only appointed in October as the re- what seems to be the independent referees commissioner. So that's the first issue. The second issue is Friday night. Uh, I think it's a great idea to bring in a video to show your argument. Once in a while. Oh, oh, once in a while. You don't want to come in after every game no. and sit there for half an hour going, <laughs> because this was a clear-cut error. Yeah. And it cost us very dearly. I'm afraid the January issue is dead in the water and he shouldn't have gone anywhere near it. 
and it, it actually weakens his argument. Uh, maybe if he'd had more time to think, or maybe if he'd discussed this with somebody else prior to going into the press conference, they'd have said, don't go there. Just stick to the facts. Stick to what you can show. And what he could show was on his laptop, but he could show nothing about the alleged situation that occurred before the Edinburgh game. This is the second year in a row where we've had a problem with what's happened in Cardiff because after last year's game, the ref was dropped to the Italian league. Mm. And he was... So that's new. So something... The processes issue, Pat has been very clear about it before. And he does have history of doing this. I remember after Saracens last year. Who scored? Arsenal. (laughs) Who puts lime green numbers on a blue kit? Um... (laughs) But, um, <laughs> but after the Saracens game last year, and I happened to, why was that? I was at the press conference on the Monday, and I happened to say, "Oh, unusual that they've left the TV in." Oh, oh no! Uh, and I think it was, I think it was, I think it was Dara Small made a simple comment about, "Have you had time to consider some of the refereeing decisions?" Oh, had he ever? <laughs> there was a 20-minute video which makes appalling radio but was absolutely fascinating, where he went through every decision, and he went through, this happened, this happened, this happened. And he pointed out, what he did point out was, we got penalised for this. Okay, you have to disagree, you might disagree with it, but okay. But unfortunately, Saracens went into exactly the same thing in the red zone, so it should be a yellow card, and we've seen that, and it didn't happen to us. So he has history of actually using video technology. I think William is absolutely right. Friday night, poor decision. My issue with that is... Friday night, poor decision to bring up the no, previous... Too poor, poor decision, poor decision in terms of on-the-pitch poor decision. Oh, and I want to bring up the issue is why is that this is... The thing we praise Lloyd Linton for when he sent off Reinhard Lindemann is the reason to criticise him, which was he listened too much to the superior guy on the touchline and decided, well, didn't back himself on this decision. And he possibly should even... Somebody should have raised up, why don't... Please can we check the TMO on this one? Somebody should have done that. That's also our fault. The January issue, there's two things I'll say. Yes, William is exactly, is absolutely perfectly correct. Just leave it. There's no point. It's done, it's done, it's done. Nothing came of it, nothing came of it. But I have to say, and I know this for a fact from journalists, is that we do have a slight issue with some of the officials at the sports ground on the match day who are overly officious and have been downright rude to journalists, downright rude to, to, to clan members, and downright rude. Now it would appear to have been, have, may possibly, can be stand accused of, of causing an incident with an official. I think there was three separate issues. It's got nothing to do with that. The knock-on effect is that we now have an official who we just effectively slighted who's going to be refereeing our next game or probably won't be now. The referees will draw the circles. This could, this could blow up in our faces big time. We see that, you know, if he's not refereeing the game, it's nearly worse if they circle the raggings, so to speak. If he is refereeing the game, it's probably slightly better because he wants to prove a point. Um, now we're getting on to the decisions. We're getting towards there. Like, same game. Leighton Hodges, touch judge, far side, Tiernan O'Halloran pulls the guy by the, by the shirt collar uh, in the air and then puts, touches the ball down and Leighton Hodges says, oh no, you can award a try, don't even go to the TMO. And we're all like, really? Even in the commentary, and it was way away, we were like, I don't think, I don't know about that decision. And the same game also, Leighton Hodges draws attention to a player going head first into a rock, which should have been a yellow card, brought it to TMO, you disagree with that. But he still drew the attention to something that, you know, favoured Connick twice, that's not bias. Leighton Hodges is not biased. Yeah, and this is no big plan to, to do Connacht in. Yeah. It's, it's a set of circumstances that have caused us a big problem. But it, it, this wasn't sort of decided beforehand in a secret meeting somewhere in Cardiff that we're going to screw Connacht. Tiernan O'Halloran could technically, I think, have got a yellow card for that attempted tackle because he tackled a guy in the air by sort of grabbing his shoulders. 
He then awards a try, which the TMO knocks off straight away. The Rook incident, the TMO's view was that the player before he made the clear out had attached himself to the Rook by putting his hand on one of his own players and then smashing his shoulder into Owen Masterson. If that is correct in law, that law needs to be changed rapidly. It's absolutely madness because Masterson was semi-trapped by one of his own players laying across the back of him and there was nowhere for him to go. Um, but there is no big plot here. There's no. just incompetence and incompetence on certain decisions because he's yeah. had some great games as well. Like I mean, overall, he's not incompetent as a referee. He's not saying that, but no. But, but the decision at the end of the game was incompetent as a decision because there was nothing to officiate on in that on that rock. No, there wasn't. But there was. There was a knock on. There was a knock on and an offside. And the other issue is, would he have? Would he, we? We can't know this, but would he have made that call if, say, a more experienced referee? was out there. This is a very inexperienced referee. He was inexperienced in the Dragons game and he got a lot of, I thought, quite helpful advice from two Welsh touch judges who I th- I don't know their names and I didn't check them, but I suspect they're the sort of guys who operate at the level of assistant referee and don't actually referee games. Mm. Um, and as you said, like, you know, they made a decision and said, you know, had Nigel Owens been in the middle there, no way was Leighton Hodges getting involved in the key decision later on. Well, well, Nigel Owens would have ignored him. Nigel Owens would have said, I've made the call, that's it, game's let's over. In, let's invert it. I usually, nine times out of ten, think Leighton Hodges, I can relax. I mean, he'll make, he'll make an odd, bizarre decision, but every referee does that. Leighton Hodges is probably maybe fourth best referee in the competition. Yeah, yeah, I kind of certainly, agree. Certainly, certainly yeah. second best. Like, we're never getting Nudge. We're never getting him. Uh, we got him once, and that was to lose at home. So if you get late Nudge, you normally feel, yeah, it was a terrible. He had everybody, but it was a bad day. Look, we criticise players when you say they have bad days at the office. Criticise management have bad days at the office. God Almighty, we criticise you, and you have a bad day at the office every time. But well, we accept that the next day, <laughs> the next day you come out, you're gonna you're gonna be better prepared. Leighton Hodges had a bad day at the office. It does not mean that he's guaranteed to absolutely hammer us down in down in Limerick. He might not. But we've certainly created a rod for his back because now, if he does go to Limerick, oh, talk about spotlight. It's a spotlight on the referee when there's no controversy before a Leinster, for a Monster Connacht game. Holy hell, this is going to be appalling for him. Um, sorry, I'm just sending a Craggy Island email for a disciplinary hearing for Dave Finn for slanderous <laughs> comments. <laughs> the presenter and producer and editor of this podcast, Alan, carry on. I'm back to independent arbitration panels again, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I'm picking the panels. <laughs> You know, you could, you, we could look at the fact that, you know, we we lost the game because, you know, there was a knock-on and the ref didn't see it. Like, that, that's the only reason why we lost the game. The only reason. I was about to say, you know, <laughs> there was plenty of other decisions. Um, I, I think I saw one of the Welsh guys making the point that there was a knock-on by us in the first half before we scored our try. Ref didn't see it. We went and got a try. So, you know, it, does it make any difference what time of the match that the referee doesn't see something? You know, it's it's you know, it's, just, it's human nature. It's just you know, people are human. Referees are human. Anyone who really criticises needs to go and referee a game to understand the pressure those guys are under. But still, that last decision. I mean, it was so bad. <laughs> you that know, was, yeah, absolutely, it was so bad. Like, what was he looking at? You know, you, like, and then you made a great point. You brought up the BBC Wales point about the John Muldoon incident, and we're all so blooming certain that Muldoon was fine. And you suddenly introduced uh, si- a slight element. Williams just done it with the rook. Oh, we're certain you can't dive into Ruckler when Wade he put his hand on. So, yeah, it's complicated to referee games, I agree. But that last one, come on, stay out of it unless you're certain. Yeah, you would have thought so, unless he was slightly... He didn't see the ball being knocked on. That's all you can imagine, that he didn't see... But even the then, there was no Ruck. Well, as far as he was concerned, there obviously was. 
Okay. But then why didn't they go to TMO? Why okay. didn't we ask for the TMO? Can you? Okay. You can't ask for the TMO. Not in, the same, not in an we, incident we, like we, that. They can, but we can, John Muldoon can't go up and say, I want the TMO, I want the TMO. Throw the red flag for the touchline. It's just a decision made. I mean, I'm assuming that Leighton Hodges was right on top of that on the touchline. Now, Pat Lamb said something about him being 30 yards away. If he was 30 yards away, he'd have been on the goal line. <laughs> so, 50, yeah, 50 but I think it comes down to Hodges must have believed he was making the right decision. That I can't understand how he believes he was in I, that one. I absolutely agree with you, but then how did he give the try in the first half? No, 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 but see, I'm not saying it from the point of view of bias, because I don't think he was biased no, for one right. second, because it's those other decisions just proved just that. Just but it's really, such a bad mistake. It's a really bad mistake, yeah. backed up with the fact that an inexperienced referee on the pitch who decided, I'll go with that, rather than saying, no, I'm sticking to my original decision, it's over. And here's the point, Alan. How much a better situation would it be for Connacht had Pat Lamb had the laptop in there, gone through this, and this was the only conversation. 12,000 listeners on my thing uh, clip, not a chance of it, maybe a 1,000 at best. So you don't have to storm. But within the context of the Pro 12 conversations, and Leighton Hodges would hear this, everyone would be asking the question, how did he make that mistake? And that would be powerful. It would make him think twice. Now, now he could circle his own wagons and, and he could feel really, you know, feeling really persecuted here at the moment. Yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd wonder, like, Lamb came from the Super 15, where I believe they have a much more central, centralised refereeing scenario built up, so that the referees are, you know, everyone referees roughly the same way. Here, <laughs> it's not quite the same. I know we have we have like different cultures, but they have different cultures down there too. Yes. You know, and and we need to get to a point where maybe this is a wake up call for the referees to go, okay, yes, we need to circle the wagons, but do it in a positive way, and do it where you know we can get similar decisions made right across the board as much as possible. Some referees have a better feel for the game. Other guys want to referee the game by the, by, to the letter of the law. Um, that needs to be worked on. You know, we're in the professional era now for 15, 16 years, and it needs to have been brought along, especially in our league. If you're going to do that, you start off. You have Scottish referee, two Scottish assistant referees, and a Scottish TMO. And you have the same when it's an Italian. You don't have local touch judges come in. You don't have an Irish referee, Irish uh, referee refereeing a Connacht match with maybe two Irish touch judges against a Welsh team. Do this properly and say, right, these guys are going to operate as a team. They're going to travel around as a team. Best referee that I've seen there is Matreya, Marius Matreya, the yeah, Italian chap. Yeah, exactly. He struggles slightly, and this isn't a criticism, it's an observation. His English is a little bit dodgy. So he struggles with the TMO because he's trying to explain what he's looking for and the TMO is coming back to him and asking him questions. If he had an Italian TMO working with him in a game in Galway, he'd be able to make a clearer decision. If he had two Italian touch judges talking in his earpiece, they'd be making clearer decisions. It's a professional league. Is there not enough money around to fly these guys around as a team? I would make one tiny tweak. Tiny, tiny tweak to what Williams said. I think Williams got it absolutely nailed on. It's even more blatantly obvious when you're in Italy where the TMO is Italian, because you're guaranteed a ref can't speak Italian, I would have teams. I would have the, lo- the two touch judges, top quality from the locally. So for Irish boys, it would be AIL refs, and a TMO was a former AIL ref. Same with Scotland and Italy and, and Wales. I would make sure they are teams, that that is a group. Because what's one of the things that the Premier League did develop, and there are many things they got wrong. One thing they got right was you have teams of officials. You always used to see... Uh, Darren Can and Mike Malarkey with Howard Webb. They were a team. There's no logical reason why you couldn't have teams. Irish team, three Irish teams, three Welsh teams, three, three Scottish, a couple of Italian, and that's the team. And they go together, and they have a good working relationship. Whereas you get, like we saw Lloyd Linton, 
he he did two games in a row for us in Wales, one in Newport, one in Cardiff, and he didn't have anybody else that was at both games apart from the Connacht team. So it's not fair referees. At least you can build up a recognition. We keep going about on the pitch that it's about partnerships and partnerships and partnerships. Why do we assume that they can't have good partnerships in refereeing? And just, just on that, the fact that you mentioned the Italians, that the referee goes to Italy and the TMO is Italian. Why? These guys are paid. These, these, all, these referees are professional. Why aren't they learning languages? There's two languages to learn, French and Italian. You know, French for when they're playing Heineken Cup or European Cup, whatever the hell it's called. Can we just Italian. allow people to say Heineken Cup? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, Christ. Um, but, it, like, it can't be that difficult. Like, some of them are trying. You know, Roland was the first one who did it, and the French used to love him because they knew he, they spoke his language. I, I see um, the English guy is doing it these days as well. He's, at least he's, he's attempting. Wayne, 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 Wayne Burns, Wayne Burns. Yeah, he's yeah. But they all should do it. They're professionals. It's, okay. You know, it's just one, it's a tiny thing, but I think it's, it's a huge thing that, you know, it would show that they're, they're professional in, in everything they do. We have the rest of the season to talk about and we have a couple of other things to talk about as well. But just before we leave this, I know you have one thing to add, so if you can add that and then answer this as well. Is there still... What was the thinking, Pat Lamb bringing that up? The way Pat Lamb operates is I still think he's not... Even with people criticising him bringing up this, he brought that up for a reason. We talked about this before the podcast. He probably still feels he had to do it. Um... I just How is he going to get out of this uh, disciplinary committee without uh, some sort of serious sanction? Well, I don't know how... The, I've never heard of this disciplinary committee, so we don't actually know what they've done before. <laughs> yeah. So it, maybe he's going to be made stand over on the clan side of the ground in, in with us, <laughs> and we can have him in the podcast. Or maybe he's going to have to stand out the back and watch over the wall. I don't know how he's going to be fined. I suspect he's become very frustrated with the standard of the refereeing. And I suspect that some of the Southern Hemisphere coaches, of which there are quite a few in the Pro 12, uh, I mean, most of the Cardiff people who have been interviewed last Friday were all from the Southern Hemisphere, defence coach, attack coach. They, they must talk to each other. And they've probably sat around a table and said, what the hell is going on up here with this? What, what, how do they referee? How do they come to these decisions? And he might have just thought, right, I'm going to open this can of worms a little bit now. I'm going to move the goalpost and I'm just going to say, right, I'm sick of it. I'm not happy with it. I'm going to show you where the mistakes were made. That's his Roy Keane moment, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say to him, I also think we've heard an awful lot, but I don't think we've heard all of it. I reckon there's something, there's a lot we don't know. Um, it might come out in his defence. I think, it, I think it'll have to come out in his defence. You need something, yeah. We won't hear any of that. That meeting will take place and we will be given the result. We won't get... <laughs> we, it'll be... Verb, we will hear nothing. It's like Dave and the meeting that's going to happen in this Craig Ireland podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make one other point. Uh, that he can get a seat on top of a roof on College Road? Yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> Leinster against the Dragons a few weeks ago, game somehow or other Leinster lost, was not televised. Oh, yeah. Hence no TMO. Yeah. Hence very upset Leinster coach because they had two tries disallowed. If you're going to have the telev- televising of 90% of these games, you've got to get it up to 100. It's got to be on an even playing field. You can't suddenly have a game that's not been TMO covered at any stage. They're, going to have to get, they're either going to have to decide that they're having TMOs for all of the games or they're not, even, irrespective of whether the game is shown live on television. They're going to have to have that facility there. I wonder too sometimes if we even need TMOs. <laughs> you know, for cra- as crazy as they are, I don't really see any sort of more relaxed situation around tries. You just make a decision: is it a try? Is it held up? Get on with it. No, no, you can't because that's the problem. Cricket has lived in this bizarre world for years. People in the ground knew the umpire had made a mistake. People at home knew he'd made a mistake. 
and the only people that didn't know he made a mistake was the umpire because he hasn't seen the TV. Okay. The TV's there, you can't get rid of it. And but it's, there'll always be disputes there anyways and no one said TV was going to solve the No, they, they, they didn't. But if you, can, if you can get a situation where you get the decision right more often. I'll start with you, the team as they walked off. It is as dejected as I've seen a Connacht side for a long, long time. It was such a pivotal moment in the season. And it is easy with two weeks uh, to go to the next game with, with the Scarlets playing the bottom five teams in the last five rounds to really feel negative now, despite the fact that Connacht are three points ahead. And if you'd given us this, this position at the start of the season, we would have been delighted. Absolutely. Like, OK, they've three of the bottom five, but they've to go away for three of those games. You know, and, and away games in this league don't tend to be won by the away team for as we yeah, found out the away, weekend when the four Irish teams lost even though the odds on the four Irish teams winning was only 2-1 to one. imagine what the odds are with the four Welsh teams winning I can't remember what it was because nobody was looking at that we were all looking at the Irish ones it, yeah it's still a, it's still a way for them yes they're playing against Treviso and Zebra but they'll have their players back they've got their own little fight going on as well Zebra have to play all three teams Dragons are, have to play both and they're after winning two huge home games in a row and then Scarlets are playing against Edinburgh as well, so like it's it's still up there to be played. All right, can we again second time? I'm, 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 that's my fault, my fault because we're going off track. We need to talk about the Cardiff game a little bit more because you know what we didn't mention, William, the fact that ten three at half time, we're in total control. Sorry, let me correct. Ten three with five minutes to go to half time, we're in total control, and it's about to be seventeen three because their scrum cannot deal with Rodney Ayew's par. Uh, absolutely. Uh, they had two penalties or two resets on their own scrum. We then get a free kick or a penalty. I, I, I'm free kick. Free kick. Okay, well, we could have gone again with a scrum. Of course. For some reason, George decides to do a tap penalty move that you'd see in the Junior Schools Cup. Didn't tell anybody. Ran a bit, fell down, move over. They're off 10 3. It was, it was shambolic because another scrum, it could have been a card. It could have been a penalty try. You don't know what a referee's going to do in that situation. We absolutely had them on toast. And that gave them a bit of belief. They came out in the second half. They obviously got a bollocking from the the gang of people who are now running Cardiff Rugby because there doesn't seem to be anybody... It's run by committee. It's it, like it, the old it, selection committee. It does, yeah. It does seem to be run by committee because about five different people were interviewed on uh, BBC Wales <laughs> who all seem to have a different view. Um, that was very poor. We had countless opportunities in the first half to make good decisions after both of our tries both of our tries we screwed up the kickoff the kickoff return a simple bit of rugby i sent you a text when we went up and it simply said regain the kickoff and you can d- depends on whose fault it is john muldoon ran into ronan lockney or ronan lockney didn't get out of the way that gave them a little toehold back in the game if that ball had gone 40 yards down the field the game would have been over yeah, and just before that, we had scored a try that was so untraditional, Connick, that was so new, Connick, Allen, because for 25, 30 minutes of the second half, Cardiff have taken advantage of Rodney Ayew's dead legs, so our bigger advantage in the scrum is gone. They've taken advantage of the fact that we didn't take advantage of our tries. And then Connick somehow found an answer, like no Connick teams used to do in the past. We found leaders all over the park. Danny Pullman, one of the guys who really stepped up there. Ali Muldowney cut the man of the match because the way he took his try and the way he stepped up in those closing stages. That was really encouraging, the way they came back. And it stunned Cardiff. 
Absolutely. Like they, you know, I say they, they recovered from the fact that there should have been at least two scores up going into half time, and they weren't. Cardiff came out, blew them away for 15 or 20 minutes. They held up. They, they, they held it. They held it really well. Then eventually, you know, eventually cracked under under the pressure. But then to play some of the best rugby they've played all season, to score an absolutely brilliant try, and as as William said, that ball should have been just belted down the field. Between that and then, you know, with two minutes to go, what one minute thirty seconds to go, we kick a ball away. Yeah. We've got the ball. You know, earlier on in the half, we had a five meter line out and we recycled it three times before we put it into touch. Why didn't we do the same thing from a you know, we've a minute and a half to play and we have the ball. You know, the questions have to be asked. Everyone's going on about, you know, blaming a referee and blaming a linesman or whatever, but you have to sort of look at themselves and go, we had the ball and we give it away. Yeah, it's hard to pick on one guy, but it was Craig Ronaldson who just kicked the ball. It seemed, I, I'm sure he wasn't aimless. I'm sure he intended it to go into touch, but he just went down the middle of the pitch. They regained possession, got a bit of a toehold, and then unfortunately he came belting up out of the line, missed his tackle, and suddenly they gained 30 yards. And it's hard, but this is the, you know, the old saying, championship minutes. This is, you've got to know how to close these situations out to get your win, take your points, and move on. That's all it's about at this time of the season. And inevitably that was gnawing at Pat Lamb before he started on the other issues that must have been eating the whole coaching team and the management and the players and of course the problem is we haven't been in this situation before well not for 10 years at least you know it was, it was a good 10-12 years ago we got into a quarter final but that you know there was a much smaller league with much fewer games in it it didn't have this, this amount of the time and of course Craig's only what second game back from been injured, so there's an element to that as well. He had a good game in many ways, and the, yep. the, the whole team had a good game in many ways. But then they all had their moments. Like George had some great moments, and then had some bad moments, as we mentioned before half time. But at the end of the day, this is a real missed opportunity with him. And you know, we talked about this earlier. Maybe I'll, go, I'll sum up our debate for a little bit. You were saying six points dropped against Cardiff this season. I was saying, yeah, but maybe we gained six points in tight games against Treviso and Edinburgh. Maybe you can just sum up your logic in, in those kind of situations and the way you look at that, and, and you don't buy that when you. <laughs> You take what you can get and you run with it. If you sneak a win in Edinburgh, you sneak a win in Treviso, you just take those points. Both of the Cardiff games, we had control. That's why they're points dropped. That's why they're points that are gone. We had absolute control in the sports ground. If we'd kicked the penalty, we would have gone 27-13. I know sport is ifs, buts, maybes and whats, but that's a simple fact. We were 17-11 up on Friday night. We got a, they kicked off badly. We had the ball back, and it went wrong. And that's why those are lost points, because they were in your hand. You didn't hang on in the game. You can look at the Ulster game and say we might have done better in it, but we didn't drop points in Ulster because we, were never, we never actually had the points. We had a potential, mm. but we actually had the points in the both Cardiff games in our grasp and it slipped away with very similar tries. I mean, they did almost the same thing at the sports ground. They did a 20-phase um, manoeuvre yeah. to get their dra- drawing score up there in October. Those six points, add them to where we are now, the whole thing is a different league. If, like in other sports, you blow the whistle right on the whistle, that's six points gained. And that's the crazy part, isn't it? And this is, this is where, this is the psychological aspect of it. Both tries that, that got Cardiff the win and the draw here were both should not have counted. But you don't, the only reason they become big factors is because we didn't, we put Cardiff in a position where they could, they could factor. Ultimate, ultimately, ultimately, we made a number of mistakes. 
But one thing we are not, and I've said this about Connacht for the last few seasons, is when Connacht make a mistake, the return that the opposition gets out of it is, is, can be, is seven points or three points or five points or, or a five-metre five meter, uh, line-out. When the opposition makes mistakes, we might get a try. We might get a penalty. But we're almost as likely to knock the ball on in the next move and to go back for the scrum to us. So we don't gain the reward from the other team's mistakes as they gain from ours. And that's what it boils down to, is that, as I say, on 80 minutes, we were, we were six, seven points up here and we were six points up over there. And we've managed to get only two points out of those games. And you, the problem is, as the boys have been saying, we should never have been in a position where that could have happened, that on 81 minutes we find ourselves six points or worse off than we were on 80 minutes. Can I just go back to you on this and say, you always talk to me about calmness that's in the Connacht team now and the poise that's in them. And we've, you've mentioned it a few times in some of our big results. So is Pat Lamb. Where was the calmness in both those games? But where was the calmness last weekend? I'll put it to you this way. Suddenly that light at the end of the tunnel. It might be the end of the tunnel in European club rugby. It could also 17 be... 17-12 for Port Carrington. And yeah, 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 it could also be a giant... It could also be the train coming to run us over. But that's the thing. Suddenly, they're young guys. I mean, apart from Mull... Well, the last team, Mull and Georgie were the only ones that were of any significant age. And Muldowney as well. And, and Muldowney as well. So that's three players. The rest are all under 25. Mm. They've never been in this situation in terms of success and and... And making a goal their own back. Look, the only reason we got into the Heineken Cup the first time was because Wesley Fofana inexplicably dropped the ball over a line. We've never, it's never been in our destiny before. It's never been something we've been in control of before. Suddenly it's in their control. And nerves and what do I do next? And yes, the reason we've been calm up to now is because it's been aspirational. It's been after Christmas. It's been after the Six Nations. It's been after the, the Monster game. Suddenly it's no longer after the Monster game because the next game is the Monster game. And it's still in our destiny. We, it's still in our destiny. We just have to get more points than the Scarlets get every weekend. But that is getting tighter. And we might almost be better off being behind the Scarlets one weekend because I think the team might relax and go, well, it's out of our hands. And they might relax. But as of now, it's understandable nerves because they've not been here before. Well, this is, <coughs> this is where I think that Mill's influence has waned as the season has gone on. Mm. At the start of the season, we were playing our backs especially were way, way calmer and he was on the sideline and he was running out and he was telling fellas stuff and you could see them, everything was nice and calm and they believed in what they were doing. People forget he was there from day one exactly. doing this. Yeah. You know, and he comes on and he <laughs> plays a couple of games and he does okay and he, he does a couple of bits and pieces but he's then got injured again and he didn't play particularly well. Like that pass he threw across the back line where it landed on the ground was just horrendous. That's not something you expect to see a 100 cap all black doing. And so that eats away a little bit at the confidence that the other guys have because suddenly the aura that was there isn't quite as strong as it might have been in the in the first place Big and you know you'd like to see him coming back and really giving us something and he needs to this Munster game is massive we need to get would you start him against Munster after the performances Tiernan O'Halloran did in, at fullback again if you're you know he's, he's our marquee signing this is what this is what marquee signings are signed for is to come up in a game like this which is going to be massive Munster need it because they lost at the weekend as well and they're starting to, you know, the, the, the home semi-final thing is starting to drift away from them too. So it's an unbelievable game for them in a couple of weeks' time. Um, it is bubbling and as Dave said, we haven't been here before <laughs> and that puts... There was a time that the results really didn't ma- matter for Connacht. They could almost get away with it because... There was always, well, it's poor Connacht and they haven't got the players and they haven't got the fans and they've got that stadium that just is built on the side of a beach and the rain falls all the time. 
that's drifting away now. And the other issue is sides don't underestimate us. Yeah. So, so they're going to put out, they're not going to send weakened teams, they're not going to think, well, we can get away with not playing X, Y and Z against them. So it, it is in our own hands. But they've... Yeah, but it's, isn't it great? <laughs> We're getting respect. It's something that we've craved for an awful long time. We're getting respect. We're getting respect that we felt we deserved before and we're actually getting now. And it's up to the guys. They're all professionals. They've been you know, training in, in, you know, as, as the same sort of team for about two years now. There's been very few changes. A lot of good players come in. You know, Tom McCartney's been brilliant since he's come in. Hopefully Bundy comes back. I'm hoping he's going to... I assume he's not going to be back for the Munster game. He was due back around Munster, so... But you know he, he won't have played for God knows how long. You know you still have you still have the Gloucester game the following weeks, which does that matter? That's, <laughs> no. that's the game to get him a run out and everyone else and get them sharp. Yeah. Yeah, and because then we have Ulster at home and we have to win the Ulster game at home. Like we're still 15 points better off than we were at this point last season. I know, I know, but you still can't help but wonder with those five games, William. Just go through the run in there before I bring Dave back in. All right, uh, Munster away, March 28th. Then we're away to Gloucester the following Friday. Totally irrelevant game. Send the Eagles. Uh, the following Saturday, home to Ulster. It's on the 11th. Uh, if we lose to Gloucester, we'll have a weekend off or we'll have a home semi-final against Exeter or Newcastle. There will be a quiz about this afterwards, so I hope you're paying attention. Um, May the, I won't turn up. <laughs> May the 1st uh, is the final of the Challenge Cup, which we probably won't be in. May the 9th away to Zebre. May the 16th home to the Ospreys. Now, I want to make a point about this. If you look at the Scarlets run-in and you look at our run-in, I don't know how these fixtures are worked out. Um, I assume there's a meeting. I assume you're not just handed the fixtures and told, those are your fixtures. I think you are. That's the way it used to be when I was in there, but maybe not. Then. Well, well, just imagine if there was a meeting. If the Connacht representative actually signed up to this, uh, somebody needs to have a word with him. Because to get playing four of the top we're obviously going to be the top five. I mean, if you were asked at the start of the season, you would have said Munster, Ulster, Glasgow and the Ospreys would be in the top five. Um, it's very difficult. Three of the games are at home. We're going to Munster. We haven't won there for years. I, I don't know. Look, Pat Lamb has to earn, earn his corn here because he has, to, he has to get out competitive sides. Dave, I put it just to counter William's point that maybe they deserve a medal because you know they've made us relevant at this point of the season because we've got those fixtures behind us it's, it's almost like setting a you getting in there and setting your score first uh, like Connacht are playing rugby they're going to be playing rugby into April that really really matters how long ago has that happened? It was an incredibly long time but I still don't think we're going to give medals to whoever came up with the fixture list <laughs> I mean that, that's just insanity but maybe that's just what we need. Actually, and in some ways, it might just be what we need because there's absolutely no room for complacency. Because even Zebra away, Zebra away will want to beat us because, quite simply, they can't believe they haven't already. And it's like we are their bogey team, and it'll do for them. It'll do them psychologically. They need to beat us because they just can't seem to do it. So we have five games where there is something on the line. Why not five... Oh, God, now I'm going to get into real cliché territory. Five cup finals, every one layer of one of the lines. And then, yeah, I still think we should try and beat Gloucester because, hell, why not? We don't win anything, so there's an argument made for that. But if we have to sacrifice a game, let it be the Gloucester yeah, game. Yeah, the Gloucester is the equivalent of the junior plate in junior rugby, I think. Of course, we're not forgetting that, you know, seventh place still gets us a playoff. So you've got the Edinburgh run in as well. Yeah, go. Well, back again with my little list here. Uh... When the day we're playing Munster, yeah. quarter of five in the afternoon, at two thirty in the afternoon, the Scarlets and Edinburgh will have played. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a home game for the Scarlets. Mm-hmm. So they would expect to win it. 
Scarlets have three or five games away. They have not won an away game all season in any competition. Mm-hmm. Now, that's that's some thought. OK, they're going to Zebre, they're going to Treviso, but they've also got to go to the Dragons. And I, I can't imagine the Dragons rolling away. They might beat them, but they have a bogey of not winning away games. I think if you're talking about the two teams playing during during in a weekend between an international Six Nations, I think Edinburgh are much less affected by call-ups than Clancy will be because we saw that Ken Owens got called up today to the Welsh squad. So they're actually even more in the strength. I think at some point, Edinburgh, who... Now, it's also... They're not, they're not as good as Glasgow, which is quite clear. But Edinburgh, at some point... Their fact that they are only really using Visser is bound to bound to stand them in good stead, and I think it is not impossible that they can take points off um, off Scarlets in in Clenetley. It is not impossible, though much less likely, that we can take points off Munster and Limerick. So it could just be that we might just go into the next round of the games with exactly the same situation we're not in now, which is that we are three points ahead of Scarlets, and that's all we need to be. We always just need to be three points ahead of Scarlets. Well, we could actually be level on points with them at this stage because on the tiebreaker, it's matches one and they've drawn three games. So they're unlikely to catch up with us and that. So they have to go ahead, point ahead of us. What's Edinburgh's run then just to finish there? Well, after they've played the Scarlets, they're uh, away to Munster. Right, nice. Uh, they're home to Zebra, away to the Dragons and then home to Leinster. Ooh. And the thing about that, Leinster are going to be... Uh, oh. You know, you, you, you just know on the last day of the season there's going to be teams really have to win. So it's going to just be a dogfight. Uh, and then there is, of course, the, the seventh-place playoff opportunity. Yeah, and just to explain that really quickly, seventh-place playoff means that uh, Connacht will be drawn against the seventh-ranked side in England, Homer away, toss of a coin, and then the final is against the French side. And the French, just to get to that final, have given up home advantage. So if you do get home advantage against the English side, two home games, and it could be in the middle of June, clashing probably with a Connacht semi-final in football or oh, something. What a great weekend. Connacht semi-final on the Sunday, Connacht on the Saturday. <laughs> we won't know what to do with ourselves. Rugby in June. But you're, you're also looking at a situation that, you know, if, if we can just get a little bit ahead of ourselves and say we will win in Zebra, that would give us four away wins, which is the most we've ever had in the season. Which leaves us needing just to get... And that season was 2004-2005, and that season we also drew away with Munster. I'd be quite happy to take that draw away with Munster just to keep, the, just to keep things all, all, all nice and solid and level. William, final word before we get the final thoughts from everyone? Yeah, that Munster game is going to be interesting. It's a week after the last Six Nations game. Uh, I assume that no Irish returnees will be available for either side which means we don't have Henshaw which is disappointing but they're going to be stuck for quite a few more players so they're not going to be as strong as Ulster will be Ulster are going to turn up here having had no European rugby Are you almost saying that Munster might be an actual better chance than Ulster? Uh, No (laughs) Final thoughts uh, rant time who wants to go first? Um, Two little things both of which we do the other games we've played in Wales this weekend first of all Munster terrible performance Ulster not bad but my god the Dragons surprised me and also Hallen Amos destroying Rumpiner but the one thing that's come out this weekend and I mean whatever we talk about us I think the most disgraceful thing that was said all weekend was Matt O'Connor coming out and said that the Leinster losing Clinetti was irrelevant I don't care what game you're in no match you're playing no loss you have is irrelevant I think we've just said the Gloucester game's irrelevant about five times no but I'm I'm, 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 I'm saying in terms of the great we will want we will want to win that when we're there absolutely and I'll be disgusted if we lose it but I'll take it on the chin but to actually say a game is irrelevant from a coach I mean, that's just, I just find that very... I think Leicester fans are fully entitled. I know there's a lot of disquiet from Matt O'Connor and Leicester, and I just find that pretty 
unpalatable from a, from any professional coach to come out and said to use the phrase irrelevant in terms of his season is just wrong. If you want to scroll back through our history podcast, I really recommend listening to the Leinster Away podcast when we had Andrew on. Absolute fantastic rant about Matt O'Connor, a Leinster fan just in despair. I'm sure he was very angry about that call too. So good call, Dave. Uh, William, your your rant for the week. Uh, really, the performance on Friday night has been. Uh overshadowed by the Pat Lamb incident it's if you were really cynical you could say he did it to deflect attention from it I don't think he did um, they've really got to tighten it up they've got to sit down look at themselves really hard and then get ready to go down to Thomond for a massive game they haven't won there since 1986 so it's about bloody time that was changed and they want to go at it hammer and tongs run at them, go at them, and if they come off the field beaten, fine, but please, I've been down there and I've watched us roll over and have, say, tickle my belly a number of times. Not this time. I want to see them die on their shields and get carried off. I've not run this week. Wow. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, That's it then. No rant from Alan, no rant from me. That's it for this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time and I'm going to bring the crew with me, lads. Are we all on for going to Toman Park? Yep, definitely for that. We'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. This could be awesome. Road trip podcast. We might record in the car or something. We're going to need a trailer. <laughs> we'll have to pay for the petrol, of course. Oh, cool. yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can trade in my shoe voucher. What, for a gearbox? <laughs> oh, yeah. There is that. I have my gearbox is in bad state. That's it for this week. Thanks, folks.